Hello, you're listening to Making It Count, a podcast that provides practical financial advice for every stage of life with a twist. We're your hosts, Christina and Will. We aren't financial experts. We're just like you, aka trying not to stumble our way to financial success. That's where our money smart friends come into the equation. You see what I did there, Will? Yes. I guess we need to add a bad pun disclaimer to our show description. Well, as long as we add a reality TV spoiler disclaimer as well. I'm there for that. You'll want to stay tuned for fun guest interviews. Discussions around money taboos. And apparently corny jokes and Real Housewives references. Mm -hmm. That is so perfectly us. So together, let's make make it count. count. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Making It Count. Hey, everybody. Today, we're continuing our Money Plus Love mini-series, and this topic is one that I think is very important, even though it might be a little bit tough. I know. I agree. It is important, and it is potentially a painful one for some people, but we're talking about the financial side of breakups, separation, and divorce. So this is a subject that I think is going to be relevant to almost everyone because we've all gone through a breakup at some point. Yes. And in terms of divorce, I just read that the divorce rate has dropped below 50%, which is like the normal we all say that at the water cooler, like, oh, 50% of marriages, mm-hmm. but not by much. I mean, but at least it's dropped. I, don't know. <laughs> I guess a that's bit. a good thing, a little bit. But we're here to help people understand the financial repercussions of ending a relationship. But Will, before we introduce our guest for today, have you ever had a breakup where you needed to deal with the finance part of it? A little. I did have a two-year relationship that prior to me being married that we had lived together and we had a few shared things, but we didn't have any money or like assets to speak of. And, you know, so it wasn't anything crazy. I think the most frustrating part was that I had financially contributed to his life. So, but I don't want to throw shade. There's people (laughs) still alive around here. So, you know, I don't know who listens to this. I don't want to go too deep there, but yes, I've a little bit, but not with like a home or, you know, oh, we have a loan together or we have these Mm -hmm. things, a shared credit card or something like that. No. I'm sure that makes it a whole heck of a lot more difficult. Yeah. What about you, Christina? I've been in long-term relationships before. I've been now currently married, but it never got serious enough where we were, like you were saying, like we weren't sharing bank accounts. We didn't purchase anything big together. So financially, it was a pretty clean breakup. Emotionally, not so much. But yeah, financially, we were pretty good. But I'm currently like in my own friend space have four people or four different couples that have been divorced within the past year. Yeah. The the COVID breakups and divorces really were a thing. Yes, I think so too. So it it definitely is going to be relevant for a lot of people. I mean, here's the kicker. Would you take everything from Mark? Would I take everything? Would you just, would you, would you take it all? I don't know. Cause I have kids. Yeah, but you take them too. You take everything. (laughs) I think it just depends. What would you take at what? Well, you don't have any. (laughs) You don't have any dependents is what I'm saying. Are you going to fight over that? I thought you were about to say, oh, you don't have anything. No, I meant dependents. I have a Hyundai Tucson to worry about now. (laughs) Are you going to fight over the figly fig about who Um, has custody of the the fig? I would probably get that because I take care of it. But I... No, if me, that would be, that'd be a really, really contentious <laughs> moment. We would be very down and dirty on it, probably. 
And now let's introduce our guest, and we have a terrific one today to help us understand this really complicated topic, which we've already kind of dissected and showed how complicated it can be. Samantha, welcome to our show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Christina. Thank you, Will, for having me on. I am a wealth advisor at Halbert Hargrove. I have been in the financial services industry since 2010. And within those years, I've been both a wealth advisor and I started out in financial services on the accounting side. So I definitely know my way around money. And in addition to that, I am a certified financial planner. I'm an accredited investment fiduciary and I am a certified divorce financial analyst. So hopefully I can help shed some light onto this today. Wow, I didn't even know certified divorce. What was it? Certified divorce? Financial analyst. I didn't even know that was a thing. Wow. I bet you you could tell us some stories. <laughs> Oh my God, I this Adele album could. is going to be great for you. I just feel it. So, Samantha, you personally, of course, not for your clients, personally, have you had to go through this type of topic or why did you go into divorce finances in the first place? Absolutely. I have not personally. I have been blessed. I am married. We've. I've been married to my husband for 10 years now. And I have a six-year-old son. So personally, I am very fortunate in that. But similar to what you guys have already said, I've had a lot of my peers go through really hard divorces that I felt like there was a way that I could use my own gifts with money and investments and figure out how to help others go through this and navigate the the crazy road that is divorce and breakups and separations. Well, we're very happy to have you. And we want to dive right in with some questions. Christina, why don't you get us started? I would love to. Look at you. Ladies first. That's so kind. Uh, <laughs> After you tell me I have nothing. <laughs> what and, items and producer, of value do you have to give up? And producer Lauren was the one who let me go first. So let me not give you too much credit. All right. Before we get into how dealing with finances during your breakup can be, can you talk a little bit about financial issues that can contribute to breakups and divorce? Because I know all of us know that money can be a big reason why people get divorced or break up in the first place. Yes. Money is one of the top reasons that couples usually break up or divorce. And I think there's a few different reasons why this is such a contentious topic. The first one is you have the classic spender versus savers. And if you connect with the other one, there are just built-in things that in an underlying relationship sense are going to be different. If you have one person who always wants to spend money connected to somebody who always wants to save money, there's an ongoing conflict there. And unless there's an open dialogue that's pretty continual, it can lead to some not so nice situations. I think one other issue, and I think you guys have talked about it on your podcast before, is debt. And if you haven't talked about that, well, when you first start dating somebody, it can really be an eye opener if, you know, whether you're in a serious committed relationship or you decide to pull the trigger and get married and you realize that, oh no, they have $20,000 worth of credit card debt that you didn't know about, or they have $100,000 of student debt that 
that you had no idea that they had. So I'm always an advocate of laying it out on the table so that it's open, it's honest, it's a good conversation to have. And the last one I think is who's going to control the money, right? If you have one bank account, who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to make sure things get paid? And there is an instance of financial abuse that can take place where one person is, they're making all the financial decisions. They're keeping secrets, maybe. Maybe it's a saver who feels like the spender is doing too much and they're like, hey, I'm just going to sock away this extra money over here. So I think those are the most common financial issues that can contribute to that. That's very good advice. I think that's advice we've given about debt before is just that open dialogue is key because it can also like eat away at a person, right? Like if you're keeping that secret and you just are trying to like swim out of something on your own, that's very complicated versus saying, Hey, I need help. This is something that is the circumstance I'm in and it doesn't speak to my morality as a person. Right. Exactly. I think, right. Well, Will likes to ask about credit scores on first dates. I did do that. <laughs> I, I love that. But I think it I did it very smoothly, <laughs> very suave, if you will. I was like, wow, uh, yeah, I have that same credit card. Like he had his credit card out at the restaurant. And I was like, oh, I have that same one. I love the cash back on that one. You know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've been using Credit Karma or something. And he was like, yeah, I have too. And then he just blurted it. I was like, yes, got him. <laughs> got him. Hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> And then you married him. You're like, yeah. yes. Yep. <laughs> Just right there, okay. right away. <laughs> All right. So, Samantha, what are some first steps people should take when going through a breakup or a separation? I think it depends on the type of breakup or separation you're talking about. If it's just a committed relationship, maybe it's you've been together two years, maybe there's no shared assets. It's good to, to take a financial audit. I like spreadsheets, put together a spreadsheet of what you have, whose is whose, and then you can go from there. It's a good starting point. I think if you're going the divorce route, you really want to get in place a team of experts who can help you. You want a financial advisor to help you kind of go through all those assets. You want a lawyer who can dig deeper if they need to and be your bulldog if you need that. But a good first step is if it's just a breakup or a separation, figure out what you have. And then from there, you know, ask yourself, have they been hiding anything from me? Is there any reason to suspect that there may be things that you don't know about? A good place if you can get access to it, if you're not doing it together, is a tax return. Tax return has all your financial data right there. It has all the income that's coming in for a couple or an individual. Once you've done that, then think about what are your priorities? Is there something that you really want to keep or something that is just yours? And you're like, I'm not giving up any part of this because it's mine. And then what do you need to do to make that happen? One thing, and Samantha, you can tell me if this is a good idea. <laughs> I, I've realized cause I, I have seen some friends now, unfortunately go through the process of divorce and it is very difficult no matter how amicable it might be. It is still a very difficult process and there's a lot of feelings still involved, but I use a budgeting software 
like an app that we plug all of our accounts into and we monitor together and like we look at it and it kind of gives us like the whole spiel. And I realized I really liked it because it keeps us both very accountable to what is on like each other's credit cards and what's on here and what's on there and is this bill paid and the spending habits. It also like gives you a full picture of the finances. So to me, like, it's almost like, I don't think I don't, I hope fingers crossed, I'll never be surprised if I ever have to go through that about what the full picture really is. I mean, he could still technically hide something, but. That's a great idea because you are laying it on the table and you guys are having that open and honest dialogue as you go through it. I don't think everybody is probably on the same page as you being as open, but if, if you and your significant other are in a space where you can do that, I think that's a great idea. Christina likes to hide money from Mark. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> I will say, I, I, like you were saying earlier, Samantha, you've got the spender and the saver and we're both savers, but I'm the money manager in our relationship. Like, I don't even think he cares to go into our bank account. Like he doesn't care about it at all. So <laughs> I could be like doing whatever. He would have no idea. But that also comes what with trust What a life too. Mark lives. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know. I don't want to be in charge of the money, but somebody has to. I don't want to look at any of it ever. But I mean, <laughs> I don't think I have a choice. <laughs> I know. Christina, I actually, I'm in a similar situation as you are. My husband and I are both savers. We, you know, I'm the one who deals with the day-to-day money. And my husband's just like, okay, as long as we're saving this amount, I don't really care what you do. But like you said, that comes with built-in trust. I feel like for Mark too, maybe it's, he knows that if he ever wants to know or wants to dig deeper, you're not going to hide anything from him. Right, exactly. I mean, I might have a couple 20s hidden somewhere in a drawer, but (laughs) oh man, it's not a secret anymore. (laughs) Please, we know we know that you're secretly like loaded over that. Stop it. Stop. No, because it's all going to my retirement, and that's a whole nother episode. Uh, All right. right, So we're talking, you know, Will, you've made it seem so easy, but there's definitely when you're married you or sometimes even like mark and i bought our first home when we were not even engaged so we had property before we were married so when it comes to property what's the best way and i know that it's it's varies between state to state and all of those legality things but what's the best way to separate property So I I have to give this disclaimer. I'm not an attorney and it is a very legal question and it does vary state to state. The two most common frameworks that we're talking about here are community property states and then equitable distribution. So community property states, everything's 50-50 of marital property. I want to put that in there. It's not everything. It's just marital property that's community property. And then equitable distribution does not mean equal. It means what the state determines is fair to both parties. So if if uh, the wife makes more than the husband, the wife will, will, in equitable statements, the wife would get more than the husband because the wife technically has put in more to the 
or is that how that works? It could end up that way, but again, that's going to come down to the lawyers and the judges if it goes to court for them to determine what's fair and equitable. So it could end up that way, but then you could end up in a spousal support situation as well. So let's dig a little deeper into equitable distribution. What are the factors that would determine what's equitable and fair to both parties? So the judge is going to take a broad view. So if this does go to court, it could be a lot of things. I think a good example of this is when one spouse or one partner gives up their job to stay at home and raise the kids. Their contribution to the household is considered because they've taken a pause on their career, which can impact their earning potential and their financial health in the long term. Another great example is if one partner is supporting another while they're in school. And I've seen that happen in real life. You know, one of the, the spouses supported the other while they went to school. They went to school to better themselves financially and in their profession. And because of that, there was not a 50-50 split. It was not split right down the middle. And there was a settlement of the one who went to school back to the spouse who supported during that time. And then there's one other case that I think is important to mention if one person is deliberately spending beyond their means, burning through assets ahead of a divorce settlement, that does get taken into consideration by the judge and by the courts because it can alter, well, you just spent all this money thinking that you would end up with more and you already spent it. You already got it. That's an interesting one. Yeah, and I've sort of seen... I, I've sort of seen someone attempt that, but then they kind of backed off. Like they, it seemed like they were going to do that. But yeah, it's weird. It's a very weird situation. I've never heard of that before. I mean, it takes a pretty nasty person in my opinion, but I don't know. People get, people get a little crazy in those moments too. I'm sure Samantha has many examples of people that have done that. <laughs> I have a few of those definitely. And it's probably more common than you would think. You know, there's a lot, a lot of situations where, you know, either a spouse is blindsided and they think they're going to stick it to the other one where it's, that just doesn't always work. Mm. So we're talking about home spaces. What happens? Obviously, you're living together and then you get separated. How does it get determined who gets to stay in the shared living space, whether it's an apartment or a house? And then how do you negotiate and handle that? So some of that's going to depend, you know, Christina used a great example earlier. You own property before you got married. If you're living in the property that you bought before you got married, that's yours. Pretty easy to deal with that. If both parties are the owner, then you need to figure out, okay, does one of you want to stay there? If one of you wants to stay there, can you afford to stay there? Can you afford the mortgage payment, the property taxes, the maintenance of the house? If that person can't afford it or they decide, you know what, we both need to just get out of this property, then you would sell it and you would divide the proceeds. I've seen a lot of cases where kids are involved and one spouse wants to stay in the house to keep that level of consistency for the kids, to keep them in the same school district, to keep them in the same house, kind of minimize all the transition for them because it's a lot. So... There is the option to continue co-owning the house, but there are some tax implications there. And then with an apartment, 
who's going to keep the lease? Can one person afford to keep the lease? I think similar to the house, you know, can the other afford it? I've actually seen a situation where the couple, they've been together a long time. They recently upgraded their apartment and they had that conversation before they moved and just said, hey, if we break up, can you afford this on your own? Because I would walk away. It can get tricky, but my, my best advice is to keep a logical head and keep the emotions out of the decision as much as possible. That's very good advice. But man, if somebody asked me that question, I'd be like, <laughs> why? Right. Like, my, the logical side of my brain says, yes, I totally get it. You should be able to afford this. On, like, you should be able to afford it on your own that way. Like, I mean, even, God forbid, something worse happens. But like, you know, I don't, I'd be like, red, red flag. Right. Can you imagine being like, okay, we're moving, but can you afford it? But like, hey, you oh. got this on your own, right? <laughs> hey, you got this. You got In this, case right? I don't want to, yeah. <laughs> that's wild again but a very like level-headed question but yeah Mm. (laughs) and making Mm. it and separating it from the heart i think is the other thing it's like your brain is thinking logically but your heart is definitely like i don't know they don't love me anymore (laughs) it gets messy and you know the head and the heart they they both want different things. And so keeping the emotions out as much as possible and making logical decisions, while it's probably one of the hardest things to do, is it usually ends up the best. And that's part of where, you know, I said earlier, having a team around you. I know for my clients, and I sometimes I feel like this sounds harsh, I'm outside of their relationship. I'm outside of their emotions. I have no vested interest of whether they stay in the house or not. So I can kind of come in and be like the logical, are you sure you want to do that? Let's talk about the financial ramifications without the emotions. That's a good conversation to have. Yeah. With a party that's, like she said, not vested in this relationship at all. Yeah. Giving a third party. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about the risks involved with continuing to co-own a house after a divorce? (laughs) <laughs> which seems like a weird idea. Like I've never heard re- of that. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> that's, that's why I laugh because you think if you're getting divorced, if you're breaking up with shared property, why would you want to share property with this person? No, I just asked if you can some- afford it on your own. Get it on your own. <laughs> it's all yours. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, but I think that it's a legitimate question. You know, Maybe the spouse with the kids can't afford it on their own, but the other spouse is committed to letting them stay. So it starts with the mortgage. If you both own the house, you both have the mortgage in your name. You are relying on somebody else to pay the half of the mortgage that's theirs. So your credit score is dependent on somebody else paying the other half. And if you're not in good terms with your spouse, that can impact you financially for kind of a long time to come. Also, you have to figure out who's going to pay for repairs. If one spouse is living there, are they responsible for all the repairs on the house? Or is the now ex-spouse or ex-partner going to contribute? These are all things that have to be decided before. And then the tax implications are you sharing the mortgage interest deduction if you itemize? That's a big deal. And then I think bigger than that is if you're going to transfer the property more than a year after the divorce is final, 
you can lose benefits of making it a tax-free transfer if it's been more than a year. Interesting. I didn't know about that. Yikes, yikes, nope. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm in California. (laughs) Property costs a lot out here. If you're talking about a trans, you know, a possible transfer of half of a house, you could easily be talking four or five hundred thousand dollars. Wow. Mm. Well, something that really breaks my heart in all of this, and and the couples in my inner circle that have are currently going through divorce, they have children involved, and I think that has to be so incredibly difficult. How can couples navigate that aspect of raising kids while getting divorced or separating because I mean you could not be married and still have those financial aspects like what can you do like if the kids like my kids are involved in something every single day of the week it comes to like well are you paying for dance or are you paying for baseball and are you paying (laughs) for the recital costume and are like if you really get down to the nitty-gritty it's a lot of money not just caring for daycare and stuff but like other external things. You are 100% correct. I think the biggest, most important thing to remember is that this is happening to the kids. They are not making the decision to have their parents split. And with that, they are not at fault. They need to make sure that they are emotionally and mentally prepared for what's happening. There need to be conversations, but you have to remember they shouldn't be involved in the disagreements. They shouldn't be involved in the details of who's going to pay for this. Who's going to pay for baseball? Who's going to pay for dance? You got to keep your kids out of it for their own mental and emotional health. Yeah. And then producer Laura and I are just sitting here shaking our heads. Team no kids. We are (laughs) avoiding things. Kids are kids complicate things when you're talking about breakups and divorce, but kids are one of the best things that ever happened. Absolutely. You know, I love my son (laughs) with all my heart, but he challenges me too. So (laughs) see Samantha and I are team kids. I like the, I, listen, I've got about 800 nieces and nephews and I love all of them and they're wonderful and not in my home, (laughs) except for during the summer when they come to Disney World or something, you know? Yeah. You get to send them home at night and you get to go to sleep instead of having to wake up with them in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. No college expense. No tuition every (laughs) year. Not finding a preschool to send them to. Exactly. Bringing it back to expenses, you know. We're going to get a negative review for my assessment of children, I guarantee it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, bringing it back to expenses, there are parenting apps that you you can input your kids' expenses, figure out how to split them. I think the biggest thing here is making sure that you can communicate with your ex about the kids without it becoming hostile. And I know that that's not always the case. So, you know, there's an app called Our Family Wizard. It has a calendar. So, you know, Christina, when your kids have something every night of the week, if something happens to you and your husband, you put it in there and everybody is accounted for. You can include clothes budgets, food budgets, entertainment, their extracurriculars. But I think one thing that often gets forgotten is that their needs are going to change over time. 
So where your kid's at, my kid's six. My kid at six is going to have different expenses than when he's 16. And I think the other thing that gets forgotten in both divorce agreements and separation agreements is talking about college. Are you guys going to pay for college? If so, who's going to do it and how much are we contributing? Are we going to split it half and half? If there's two kids, are you going to pay for one and I'm going to pay for the other? But it should kind of be in writing if you can so that there's no, there's no, oh, no, we didn't think about this. And especially if you're not on good terms with your ex, it could get contentious all over again. Well, not only college, like you talked about being 16, like 16, 17, you have to buy a car. So exactly. who gets the car, who's paying for, yeah, the college, like that's, those are big purchases that we, somebody has to work out. Right. Well, and there's things like health insurance. If oh, you guys, yeah. you know, if you're coming from a marriage situation, you guys are probably all covered together. So in the split, who's covering the kids? There's a lot of things to think about and this is where it's helpful to bring in professionals to help understand some of these nuances and to have them help work through them so that you don't go, oh, I canceled the kids' coverage and so did you, and now our kids don't have medical insurance, you know? Yeah. That actually happened to my husband. That happened to Mark. Mark's parents got divorced and he didn't know his dad dropped him from the health insurance until he had to go to the hospital and he realized he had no health insurance because his dad cut him out of health insurance. Oh my yeah, that happened to him. So Calling yeah, that's- Mark's parents. Well, oh, no. <laughs> but yeah, that's definitely something that they probably didn't talk about or he assumed that she was covering it. She assumed he was covering it and then he ended up with a huge medical bill. But yeah, that's definitely health insurance. Another thing that we don't really think about. And Samantha, another thing before we um, move on to non-marriage relationships, I think one of the first things you probably need to do and correct me if I'm wrong is your will and all of your life insurance, who you have as your beneficiary, you probably don't want your ex as your beneficiary anymore. I feel like that's something no. that's usually overlooked. As soon as that divorce is final, it's time to update beneficiaries, your estate plan documents. You want to make sure that your ex isn't going to end up with all your money if that's not the intention. And usually when you're getting divorced, you don't want your ex to have it. <laughs> no, but I think you make some really good points about this isn't the child's choice. They are dealing with enough, especially if it's a younger kid. I mean, not even just a younger kid, a kid of any age, like a teenager is going to have a hard time with that. But like to make don't don't create more drama for them around money like they shouldn't have to worry about that at that point i mean but part right. of our will for the kids is like the one of the reasons we created which is another one of our really great episodes about wills one of the reasons that we set up a will is because mark and i were going on vacation out of the country and we wanted to make sure that the kids like if something were to happen to us that there was a plan for the kids but if you're getting divorced is that plan still the same you and your ex-spouse still have to come to an agreement to what will happen to the children if something happens to both of you. Do they still agree on that? Like, that's another thing. Yeah, those are all great points. And that's where, I mean, I'm a little biased because I'm a professional in this space. 
but that's where it really does make sense to have a professional come along with you. And it's not just one professional, it's a team. You know, it is the financial advisor. It is the estate planning attorney. It is, you know, making sure you have somebody covering insurances because there are so many things that can fall through the cracks, but you want to make sure that all your stuff is in kind of a neat little package with a bow on the top at any point in time. All right. So let's pivot back to breakups. Do people in non-marriage relationships have any recourse when it comes to dividing assets if they feel their partner isn't being reasonable? I like this question. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And I feel like we're talking about the myth of the common law marriage, which if you haven't heard of it, it's the belief that if you're living with somebody for seven years, you have a common law marriage, you're entitled to some percentage of the shared assets. That is not true. Um, Mm. Common law marriage only exists in a few states still. So we're talking about Colorado, Iowa, Kansas, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Texas, and Utah. A few others allow it, but for example, Florida, you have to have a relationship that was formed before January 1st of 1968. (laughs) (laughs) And in Pennsylvania, you're talking about January 1st, 2005. And I think The other interesting part about common law marriage, even in the states that allow it, there is a really high standard of proof you have to go through. You have to prove that you're eligible to be married, that you have planned to get married, and sometimes even that you've presented yourself as married in public. So if you can't do those things, all three of them, then there's no common law marriage there. It has to be so hard to prove, too. Like... Oh, well, on my MySpace page in 2003, I posted that we were looking at, I don't, I don't know. Like, how would you? I mean, I also feel like I can see where somebody would probably go after if they feel like they're not being treated well in the breakup. But like a lot of people I know, if they're together in a long-term, like a very long-term relationship and they aren't married, it was very purposeful. Like they were like maybe burned in a previous relationship or they just, you know, there's the people who they say, I don't believe in marriage. Mm Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like every divorced person probably says, I'm never doing that again. You know, I always look at them and say, two, cut to two years from now. Just wait. We'll see. <laughs> All at the wedding going, nope, nope, we're not objecting. <laughs> but I really thought that common law marriage was a thing. Like, I truly believed exactly everything that you just said. If you've been with someone for more than seven years, it's a common law marriage. I had no idea that that wasn't. I had no idea. You're not alone in that, Christina. I think there's still a lot of people who do think that's still a plausible option, if you will. And unless you're in one of those handful of states and you can give the the proof that, yeah, you guys have been together, you plan to be married and all that, you're going to find that it's not really the case for most people. So what can people do in the absence of common law marriage to divide their assets to avoid as much disputes as possible? I mean, I think the easiest one is you keep yours and I'll keep mine. And if we're living in a house that one of them owned, they keep it. Bank accounts are separate. You keep your own bank account. You have your own vehicles that you're paying for on your own. You keep it. 
if there are shared assets, I know a lot of couples who are living together have a joint account for living expenses, or there's a joint credit card that they're paying living expenses with. You would need to negotiate who keeps that. If each party contributes 50%, then maybe it's a 50-50 split for what's left over. You know, if it wasn't, then maybe it's whatever split that was contributed. Maybe it was a 60-40 or a 70-30, depending on how much everybody's making and the arrangement that you that they came to. I think in terms of joint purchases, that's going to be decided on a case-by-case basis. You know, if you bought a car together, who's going to keep it or are you going to sell it? If you can't decide, you can always hire an outside arbitrator who can help. So the last question before we head into our rapid fire round, what's your best advice in a situation where there has been financial abuse or control issues? The best advice here is to seek professional help. Because if there's financial abuse, you may not know everything that's happening. And you are going to need professionals to come in and help you figure out and sort it out. You're going to need a lawyer. That's first. I would also suggest a forensic accountant because they can help dig into the financials that you may not understand. (laughs) They're going to go deeper than you ever thought about your financials. And they're going to figure out what happened and they're going to help get all the records needed to show financial abuse and figure out if there's a way that the victim can receive some of that back. I learned about forensic accountants Mm -hmm. from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) Sutton, one of the housewives, went through a divorce, a fairly contentious one, and I think it was at least, and she in the settlement found out that she owned two minor league baseball teams. I think you talked about this before. I have. It's an incredible moment. But then she was giving advice to another housewife because funny thing, a lot of the housewives aren't wives. <laughs> They're just single. But she was giving advice to another one who's going through a divorce and she's like, get a forensic accountant. They got to go through everything. You can't trust anybody. Like she was like, here's what you got to do, all these different things. And she was giving examples of like all the stuff she found. And yep. Well, and if there's, if there's, Financial abuse, chances are there's no trust. Yeah. And that's where it's the most important to to get to the bottom of and sort through all the assets. And most individuals don't have the capabilities to do that on their own. All right, Samantha, now is the time for our rapid fire question round that we call Making It Count Essentials. Are you ready for these rapid fire questions? I'm ready. All right, Will. I'm going to let you go first. All right. So what advice would you give about dividing shared investments? I think that's deciding whether you want to own the investment or if you want to sell it. If you need to split them, who's going to take what? Are you going to liquidate and then split the proceeds? Or are you just going to take everything in kind or you're going to take it as it is? When should one partner ask for spousal support from another? This is a rapid fire question. I know. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, producer Lauren. <laughs> this could probably be a All right, answer that in, in 10 seconds. <laughs> Spousal support is usually granted when one partner earns significantly more than another. However, usually this is more common in long term marriages. What's one piece of advice you'd give someone going through a divorce that we haven't already discussed? I think this might be my favorite rapid fire question. 
it's going to be a roller coaster ride. You're going to have highs that you're like, I can't believe I didn't do this before. Let's get the document signed. I'm out of here. You're also going to have lows where you're thinking, what am I doing? Is this the right decision? And it's you're not going to go through it just once. You're probably going to go through it a few times over the course of the divorce. And I know I've said it before, but don't let your emotions guide your decisions. If you can, wait on making other life decisions that aren't part of the divorce. Is there any advice about investment accounts that you would offer that we haven't talked about yet? So the biggest one we have talked about, and that's make sure your beneficiaries are updated as soon as that divorce is final. You don't always have to wait. You can get a provisional beneficiary designation change while going through a divorce. So if you are in the middle of divorce, your ex wouldn't get your things if you die. But I still think that's probably the most important. All right. Last one. We usually try for one fun question, but that's a tricky with this tricky <laughs> a little challenge bit. <laughs> yeah. with this topic. So we'll settle for something reasonably light. What's one personal belonging you would fight for in a breakup? Oh, <laughs> and personal. So your, ch- your, your child doesn't count. Like it has to be a, a personal item. All right. I think I would take the KitchenAid stand mixer <laughs> with all of the attachments. That's Wait, right. Those attachments are it? expensive. Those attachments are very, yes. I mean, yes. the mixer is expensive. Yeah, but it lasts it like is. 300 years. I mean, they they I, you'll never have to replace it. I have two questions now on top of that. Yes. What color is your mixer? It is red. Red. I like the red yes. one. I, like the red I one. want the teal teal one. I have a gray one. A gray one? A gray one. Do you yeah. bake a lot? I like baking, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I actually use it. I actually, honestly, it's one of the best appliances you can buy. It is so worth the money. It is. You can use it for so many things. I have a shredding and slicing attachment. Oh. It's incredible. You want to get a block of cheese shredded in like 30 seconds flat right there. Really? Yeah. There's a meat grinding attachment. It's amazing. Oh. Yeah. All right. And then too, Samantha, how often do you use it? Because it takes up a lot of counter space and I feel like I wouldn't use it enough to take up as much counter space as it does. So I'm going to answer this in two parts. What? One, I have a, a cupboard that it's probably the only thing that fits in there, but it fits <laughs> perfectly with the attachments. And I probably don't use it as much as I would like to. I love baking, but being a full-time working mom, my time is limited to say the least. But my husband, this is where you'll probably all laugh. My husband loves the attachments. He loves the meat grinder attachment. He loves the pasta maker attachment. So that's part of my like snide Mm -hmm. to him. If I were going to leave, that's what I would take so that <laughs> he could use it. That's why she wants it. Now I we got like, down to the bottom I of like it. the reasoning, though, on that. That's a good one. <laughs> so there's actually, like, in my dream kitchen, mm-hmm. in my head, there is a cabinet that you can get that pulls out and up and locks in place. And it's literally designed for, like, a mixer. Not yes. just a KitchenAid, but they designed it so it goes up and locks. And you've got it there and you can put it back and it doesn't take up your very precious counter space. I mean, the counter space is very limited or can be. Yes. And Will, you have this and you've never baked me anything. I don't bake for, <laughs> I don't really bake for like people. I don't, I'm not the person to like come into the office with brownies or something. Oh, all right. Yeah. Not even for me? No. What have you brought Aww. me? Let's go back. <laughs> no, let's bake. go back to me. What have you I brought don't me? bake or cook. I think so you, I think you secretly not, do and you I don't. No, I don't. I think she I want to be on making it, like not making, what's the, um, no, oh, the show on Netflix where they make the really, one, yeah, yes. where they like 
Nailed it. I want to be on Nailed It so bad. That's my goal. That's my goal. You would wow, be, you we would really, be really good on a, a tangent. Yeah, no, but that'd be good. <laughs> I want to know what you would take. What would you take? What would I take? Because oh, kids are out. What would I take? I don't know. That's a hard. I'm I'm pretty impressed that Samantha came up with one so quickly. I I don't know what I would take. What would you take? Um, I'm. I mean, they're like I have a lot of like items that I don't think would be fought over, but. Out of a spite, I'd take the PS5. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like how Samantha has some spite in that mixer. Like oh, no, I've, I would never I use it. I would, that. I would take it and sell it. <laughs> I'd probably take my car. My car. It's in both of our names. I don't know. I don't know. I'll, really, I'll get back you know, to you on that. That's one thing I probably would let him keep the car in both of our names because we only had to get it because I totaled the other one. So. <laughs> wah, wah. I would let him keep that one and the payment, too. <laughs> All right. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for coming onto the show. I'm sure you've helped a lot of our listeners with all this really great advice. Now's the time when we would like to give our guests a moment to talk about themselves and tell our listeners where to follow them online. So Samantha, where can our listeners learn more about you? Yeah. So you can find information about me and my contact information on our website, which is halbertheartgrove.com. And you can always find me on LinkedIn or you can just email me directly. My email is sgarcia at hhga.com. Oh, that one's easy. And you know that our amazing executive producer, Lauren, will put all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much. And we hope to have you back on another show. Thank you. All right, Christina, now it's time for our favorite segment. What, what did, did we, we learn today? today? Why don't you go first, actually? Oh, I get to go yeah, first. You get to okay. go first. I learned that common law marriage is not a thing because I dated a guy for a very long time. I think it was like six years. And I would have thought maybe eventually it would be a common law marriage, but it wasn't. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. Not a thing. You won't get anything out nope. of it. For me, I learned that kind of in the same line with you on the common law marriages, but I also was interested in the fact that some people want to actually own their property together yes. still after the fact like very interesting they must i mean i know you hear about those people like even adele keep saying like oh i'm best friends with my ex-husband in these interviews and i'm like i don't know i feel like you're just saying it but <laughs> you, you know you put a whole album out about it i don't know if i'd be friends with you after that but i also learned that you have a really nice stand-up mixer yeah i've got some nice appliances well, you've never invited me to your house so i wouldn't know You've never invited me to your pool. <laughs> That's true. I found out you had a pool. You found out I had a stand mixer. I guess we're even, sort of, they're even though your pool is worth way more than my stand no, mixer. I was going to say they're about the same. <laughs> the same cost. Those are so You must have a really bad pool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At the end of each episode, we like to leave our listeners with a resource they can use to make it count in their lives. And this week, we have a great one. Actually, reasonably named. It's not that long. Oh, dang, this I was week. hoping for a really long I one. No, it's a downloadable guide from Edition Financial's Resource Center called Money, Money Management, Management Tips and, and Saving Strategies. Strategies. Very like short and sweet. It's a long. Uh, episode, <laughs> <laughs> executive producer Lauren is saying that it was longer. What was uh. it before? <laughs> Okay, oh. money management tips, tips and, saving and saving strategies for every budget and age. There we go. That that seems more appropriate. I like that. Yeah, I like it too. It can help you create a household budget and set up an emergency fund and live more frug frugally. Producer Lauren has left the link 
to that in the show notes. So make sure to check it out when you get a chance. And thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Making It Count. And that's a wrap on this episode of Making It Count. If you learned something new, were inspired to reach your financial goals, or just found us entertaining, please subscribe, share, or rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. And don't worry, we'll be back soon with another new episode of Making Making It Count. Count.